Andy, you know how we, we talk before the podcast starts? Yeah. And then... Uh, Is that what we're doing now? Well, I'm thinking, you know, what if we planned out some kind of like fake talk and we pretended we weren't being heard by mm-hmm. the audience? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like um, m- make it seem like, you know, give that they're, they're hearing something behind the scenes. Sure. What could we do to talk that would make it seem like we didn't think we were being recorded? Um, I don't know. We could pretend to fight and then suddenly be all palsy once the podcast starts. Yeah, yeah. Something Although like we're that not that fine. palsy when the real podcast Well, that's true. <laughs> so maybe it's... Yeah, maybe we'll plan it out for next week. Maybe that's the solution. <laughs> This is the Red Eye Podcast. It's Tom and Andy. We're here in the. Uh, do we call this the small studio, Andy? I, I, I unofficially. Yeah. There's so how many studios are there at Fox? I, I don't know. There are at least forty-seven and a half. They're everywhere. Yeah. Um, and you know we're Andy and I have been taking over Fox News Radio. Yeah. It's called Fox News Talk, and we're taking it over for the whole week. We're, we we kind of did a like a silent coup. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are like, when are you guys going to be back on TV? And it's like, TV is the past, baby. It really is. Uh, I think it's fairly clear that radio and podcasts are the – I mean, audio is the, is the technology of the future. I audio, think. definitely the future. Yeah. You know what, it is? Andy? I got home last night, and uh, you know, I poured myself a drink. Sure. And, you know, because it's the old red-eye hours. Right. When we're doing the radio, we're doing yeah. 6 to 9 on a Fox News talk, and then I went home, poured myself a drink, and I was like, wow, this feels like a red-eye night. Mm-hmm. But you know what it wasn't, what I didn't have to do? Watch Wash the, off my makeup. makeup. Yeah, I know. That's what a so- horrible chore that was. <laughs> and it made me think, TV does, TV's horrible. Mm-hmm. You got to, you know, you got this gunk on your face. <laughs> Radio's so smooth, it's so excellent. I mean, it takes, it takes at, at least... Two to three minutes to wipe that makeup <laughs> no, off. Actually, I have more of a routine. I mean, you have, okay. I have a bit of a kind of a, um, should I say, a female-centric routine. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I don't know what that means, Tom. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, my wife lent me her um, makeup-removing oil, mm-hmm. and I just loved it. Yeah. It just, it's so nice on mm-hmm. the skin. Sure. And uh, it washes the makeup off so well. Uh-huh. And then a little bit of a warm splash of water and then a cold splash to kind of open those or to kind of close those pores. Sure. And then the moisturizing. Uh-huh. It's a... Uh, you know, I actually kind of miss it. You know, I wish I... <laughs> it sounds like it. I, th- I think you should continue with that routine even if you don't have makeup on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, I will uh, say, though, that I, I did buy... Because um, here at work, I you know, th- the way you wipe your makeup off is you basically use, like, wet ones. Yes. Uh, they, have, they have, you know, giant uh, containers of wet ones throughout the makeup areas here at Fox. And, and it doesn't do a great job. No. And you don't see the women... Uh, taking those wet ones to their face. No. They know better. Right, exactly. So but, I, you know, I, Rob I, Long, wipe, 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 yeah. one after another. Yeah. And I'd say, Rob, you got to... <laughs> Which is what I used to do. And then I, I realized, A, they're not doing a great job. And I, I knew they weren't doing a great job because sometimes I would get home and, I mean, yeah, obviously I brush my teeth before I go to bed, but I don't always wash my face before I go to bed because <laughs> yes. I'm, you know, whatever. And I would wake up and there would be, you know, the little stains on my pillow Yes. Uh, from the makeup. Yeah. And I realized, yeah, that this is not doing a great job. And I bought these, uh, I think they're Neutrogena or something like that. Oh, yes. The, the act, the, moisturizing wipes. Yeah, the makeup-removing moisturizing wipes. And they are fantastic. <laughs> and and much like you with your essential oils, it they feel much better when you're wiping. Like yes. the wet ones, you could feel sort of like the – you could feel your pores being taken off along with the makeup. Yes. With yeah. these, they're just smooth. 
uh, and they leave your face with a baby's glow, Tom. It's amazing. And uh, so I, I did switch over to using those. Well, there you go. It's yeah. not it's not much different. It's yeah. like it's every. I think it's important to have a uh, a skincare regimen. Oh, uh, sure. Uh, especially as you get up in years. You no, know? absolutely. The yeah. Guys like you know, because I would say I, I would when I was on the road with Gaffigan, I would say, oh, uh, a, a Kiehl's. You know, and out in uh, the heartland of America, you don't see Akeels that often. Right. So I say, oh, Akeels, let's go in here. So, and he'd be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and we'd walk in, and someone in a lab coat would come up and help me buy moisturizer mm-hmm. or whatever. And she'd say, and do, could, could we get anything for you? And he'd be like, no. And, I, <laughs> and I'm like, Jim, do you, you know, what about your, uh, you know, what's your, what do you use on your face? And he was like, nothing. He like, he doesn't. Yeah. I was like, but what products? I mean, come on, you got to put on a, you put on a little, uh, little moisturizer in the mm. morning. And he was like, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think most guys do. Yeah, no, I don't think it was actually, and I didn't for most of my life. But yeah. but as you said, as you get older, you start to realize, oh, my face could probably use a little help. Yeah, you got to take care of these things. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, it might be too late in my case. No, but, no, it's but that's I'm, the thing. I'm trying. No, it's like uh, like anything, Andy. Like no, the I know. Uh, wait. Well, let's talk about health. About you know because I I printed this out. I didn't tell you beforehand that I wanted to talk about this, but the uh, the uh, fat warnings are wrong. Another article. Mm-hmm. It's like the movie Sleeper, it, that everything we've been <laughs> right. doing is wrong. Uh, this is a cardiologist, not some kind of new age uh-huh. dude. He says uh, the decades-long warning that saturated fats clog arteries and cause heart disease are just plain wrong. Yeah. Three. Three dudes. Three world-leading uh, cardiologists. I've been saying this for years. Mm-hmm. Eat eggs, hamburgers, eat butter. Sure. I mean, we spent 20 years eating that parquet. Yeah, I know. Horrible. Yeah. Was all uh, who did it? it was Vic Tabak? Yeah. You remember that Vic Tabak? <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't remember that he did it. Oh, did oh you, he was in the yeah. Did he do the commercials? Yeah, I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. I uh, think he. I think Parquet the, was what they had the little tub that would say Parquet. Right. Yeah. I and remember Vic that. Tabak, the uh, the the famous. Uh, it was Mel? Yeah, Mel he? on yeah. Uh, on Alice. Right. He was the tough American diner yeah. owner. He, uh, I th- I'm pretty sure. I mean, this is the way I remember it. I, uh-huh. I he he was the first guy to lift up that little tub of oh, butter. I, okay. And uh, and it kept saying parquet, and right. he was you know laughing at it, and, uh, and then he he tried it and he liked it. Yeah, um, so. huh. I use a country crock spread. <laughs> you do these days. Well, but for me, it's more. Uh, I have dairy issues. Okay, uh, issues that afflict many of my people. Tom. I see. Oh, so, is that true? Yeah, yeah. There's a lactose intolerance thing with, among Jewish with people. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. Um, so it's just better for me. I mean, I, I'm usually fine with a little butter. Like if I'm in a restaurant, I don't, you know, I'll I'll, I'll use butter, and yeah. it's totally fine. Uh, but at home, I use I I, I use country crock. Uh, it it it's a low cal a light a low calorie thing because I'm on this you know low calorie kick yeah. these days. Although this guy, this and cardiologist, like says no more, no more low calorie. He says, just eat regular food and walk. You do that. You walk. Yes, the walking. He I says, do a so lot. forget it. You're okay, yeah. Eddie. You're okay with it. Get yourself a couple of Greek hamburgers for dinner. <laughs> sure. I love the Greek burgers. Uh-huh. Uh huh. With the uh, with like feta cheese on it. Yeah, a little feta and no bun. You just eat them with a fork. Ah, uh, okay. See, I don't like the cheese. <laughs> yeah, you don't so, have to have it. Yeah. You know, okay. just the Greek spices. Ah, uh-huh, sure. Uh, but I love. I told sure. you. I think I. I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I was telling you. You, you guys around the office were kind of scoffing at my. I like cold hamburgers mm-hmm. with mustard. Oh, that's it's the mustard. It's the mustard that I don't like. I don't mind the cold hamburgers. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not a mustard guy. My wife makes them with a little flax seed uh-huh. uh, and uh, puts them in the fridge. Nice. They're great when you get yeah. them late at night. That's a, that sounds all right. It's great. <laughs> um, we wanted to talk about Jonathan Demme. Yeah. Huge, right? Huge news. Yeah. 
and I thought I printed out. Oh yeah, I printed out all his, all his films. Yeah, I have the same exact print. You did? Yeah. yeah. The amazing thing was how obviously a great director, but how few of these films I had seen. Well, the, the, that was a that's one thing. The other thing is looking at this list and going, oh, he directed that. Yeah, <clears throat> because he's not, you know, he's not in the same category as like a Spielberg or someone like that, where you instantly you know, oh, Spielberg directed that. I'm not right. saying he's not in the same category talent wise. I'm just saying you know Spielberg directed E.T. You know Spielberg directed whatever. Yeah, I, I look at uh, this. You know, well, something wild, yeah. Married to the Mob. I had completely forgotten that Jonathan Demme directed that. Yep, and it's a great movie. Yeah, um, it is. It is good. <clears throat> yeah. But why isn't it? It's just. It's very forgotten, though. Why? Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I I think it might be that. Um, I'm going to clear my throat. Yeah, know. yeah, that's fine. <clears throat> I, the thing is that it was after something wild, and it was also it was that, uh, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer. Matthew Modine, they were very big then, right. but they, I don't know what it is about that movie. It just uh, didn't, it, it's not, you don't see it on cable the way you see right. other movies. I feel like it's a movie very much of its time. Like yeah. it's not a timeless classic. It's very 1980s. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why, maybe it hasn't resonated with future, you know, with audiences that weren't aware right. during that time period, like younger people or whatever. Um, but. But it's such a good movie. Yeah. And then, uh, well, Philadelphia, obviously, I loved. Uh, Silence of the Lambs, we can talk about that. I want to talk about it, Andy, yeah, because no, Silence definitely. of the Lambs, uh, you know, uh, it's his biggest film. Uh, and he yeah. won all awards, whatever. Sure. But Something Wild is the great Jonathan Demme film to me. I I think I wouldn't agree with that, but but I can – you can make the argument. Yeah. I, I, I'm not opposed to you making the argument. Yeah. I mean, Silence of the Lambs to me is I, – I don't want to say – I mean, it is overrated like to me because it's mm. not one of the great it's, – it's regarded as one of the greats of all time. Yeah. And I think it's a little bit scene-chewing-y uh-huh. <laughs> and a little bit of a, you know, it's just – it's a little much for me. Right. I don't, I don't think that movie itself is as scene-chewing-y yeah. as – Anthony Hopkins became in that character in the other – the lesser movies that yes. he played in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in. Um, I, my, my gripe with Silence of the Lambs is not the fault of the movie. And I think I've talked about this before. I don't like that it always makes a list of top horror movies because it's not a horror movie. Yeah. It's, now, a, it's, now, it's not even remotely a horror now movie. I'm going to clear my throat, Andy. Okay. Uh, it is. It is. It's an FBI. It's a procedural. It's a crime drama. It's a thriller. It's, it's not a horror movie. You know what, Andy? That's it. It, it if if looked at in that way, then it's one of the great kind of procedurals. Yeah, absolutely. But it is uh, it all it, it's something about that eating the fava beans and everything mm-hmm. that over the top, you know. Right. And uh, well, because that's what that's what people think of when they think of that movie. But the, I mean, everyone in that movie, Jodie Foster is fantastic. Uh, I can't believe I'm now blanking on his name. Who, the guy who played Jodie Foster's boss. Who's such a wait it's, it's a Scott minute? Glenn. Scott Glenn, Andy is fantastic. He's terrible. In Are that. you serious? He is the worst. Oh, Talk I about the, the reason. When I say scene chewing, Andy, I wasn't talking about Anthony Hopkins. Oh. I was talking about his ridiculous scenes. Really? Watch. I mean, next time you watch, all it, right. It's been a while. Yeah, it's uh, to me. He is the most over the top character. Uh-huh. Like he, it's as if the 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 actor is trying to steal the the thunder from Anthony Hopkins. Really? Yeah. To me, I do not remember that at all. I'll have to rewatch it. He's the ultimate overbearing boss of mm-hmm. like, I want that report on my desk Tuesday, Quincy. You know uh-huh. what I mean? It's like to me, it's <laughs> it's a really like TV character, you know, uh-huh. and it just 
to me, it's that guy's the worst. And he comes back again and again, I think. Doesn't he do the – or he did the sequel anyway. Uh, was he in the sequel? I thought uh, – I can't remember. The sequel was not very good, so I yeah. try to wipe my mind of it. Although, do you know the one I do like is the one with, uh, w- w- uh, you know, the, the dragon, the, the dragon movie. Red Dragon? Red Dragon. Do you prefer that to Manhunter? Uh, Are you familiar with Manhunter? Yeah, I'm the, familiar the, with Manhunter. Okay, yeah, yeah right. you're right. Uh, the, uh, I don't know if I prefer it or not, but uh, I, I think it was – Red Dragon it, is one with Ed Norton, right? Yes. Yeah. And, yeah, and, okay. uh, and uh, the, um, you know, the other guy. Yeah. So, uh, Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman. The other guy was great. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Anthony Hopkins to me is great in that. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the whole thing. Honestly, and I, I, will, I will defend this to my death, the Hannibal TV series was the best – didn't see it. I want to see it. So good. Yeah. I will lend you the Blu-rays. Do oh, you, yeah. you have a Blu-ray player? I do have a Blu-ray player that I don't know if I've ever used. All right. I will lend you the Blu-rays. If anything, uh, you know. Although I think it might be on Amazon Prime or, or Netflix or something like that. But uh, it's so good. Yeah. And it's unbelievably shot. And uh, it, the acting is fa- it it that comes closer to being horror than uh, Silence of the Lambs ever did. Yeah. Horror. I don't. I mean, it's not a genre I know a lot about, so I can't speak with yeah. authority. Yeah. Uh, especially the kind of, the, I, I don't think I like the, I don't think I like horror movies. Mm, no, Although, you know what I do like is the, um, you know, who was that guy I interviewed? Remember, what's his name? Uh, uh, I'm trying, trying to think of his, you know, the classic uh, guy, the Sam Raimi guy. Uh-huh. You know? Sam Raimi? Sam oh, oh, Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Uh, I kind of, I've, I always liked that, the Evil Dead, that kind of. Sure. Uh, oh, those are fantastic. Yeah. and But then since then, I think the genre of, I feel like the horror genre has become a tongue-in-cheek genre. In a lot of ways, yeah. You know, it, and I, I think that I, I liked when they did it in The Evil Dead. I was like, oh, this is kind of like horror, but there's, it has a kind of a sense of humor about it. Right. And uh, I think they've kind of taken that, and that's what the genre is now, and I feel like it's all just aping that. I think it's going back the other way. Scream is what really made that happen, I think. Uh-huh. That whole, the Scream series, which started off, I don't know how successful it was by the end, but the first movie and I think probably the first sequel did really well. And then every, that became the new thing. It's, it, it was like, oh, we have to be self-aware that we're in a horror movie. Yeah. And that kind of went a long way, I, I think, towards uh, sort of devaluing the genre. The other thing is Hollywood has made so many bad horror movies. Like I am – it it makes me angry how many bad horror movies are out there. The, it makes you want to do something it, horrible. Yes, it really does. But I think we're seeing. I mean, in the last couple of years, uh, there've been some great horror movies. The Witch was fantastic. Uh, Babadook was fantastic. Get Out was fantastic. If you consider that a horror movie, um, but there's so and I, you know we had a couple weeks of downtime after Red Eye ended, and I have uh, I'm on this social media site called Letterboxed now. Wow. Uh, so you is, gave up the other ones. Yeah, but Letterboxd is just you – basically you rate movies. You review movies. Oh, OK. Um, and uh, so I've been doing that just because it was a fun thing to do. I have like 10 followers. Like I don't care. Yeah. Um, but uh, – Can I have more now, Andy? Well, possibly. I but, mean, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to, for people to go on. Yeah, that's true. Uh, people who like Andy Levy uh, from Red Eye, they're going to mm-hmm. be – oh, I'm interested to see what he says uh-huh. about this movie. Sure. And they'll give you a hard time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what. Yeah, don't leave. Don't leave me comments. Um, <laughs> but uh, the only reason I brought it up is you can, if you take a look at it, because every time you watch a movie, you add it to your list. And I have watched a ton of horror movies in the last couple of weeks. I've just been on a horror movie kick for some reason. A lot of exorcism movies. Wow. Yeah. 
And you uh, obviously you watch these alone. I do watch them. Well, why do you say obviously? Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just that's the way I was picturing it. Uh-huh. Because otherwise, you'd have to invite someone to your strange. Um, <laughs> <laughs> people are in my strange home all the time. No, not your strange home. I'm just saying you'd have to they invite don't people. Leave. To, <laughs> you'd have to invite people to participate in your strange movie marathon. Uh, true, um, true. No, a lot of them I did watch alone because it was like midday. Yes, <laughs> you know, a lot of my a lot of my friends actually worked during. The day. I love movies, uh, Andy. I do too. But I don't watch them anymore. I don't go to the theater. There are so many movies out right now that I want to see in the theater. And I actually had a ticket to see uh, was Lost City of Z, which came out last weekend, which is supposed to be really good. And I woke up that day and I was like, man, I just don't feel like sitting in a theater with a bunch of idiots. Yeah. And I didn't go. And I, I didn't even get my money back. For, I blew the money on the ticket, which is so dumb. <laughs> but... <laughs> But I, I watch a lot of movies at home. I just I mean I have a fairly nice system at home, and I just the having to deal with movie theaters. The only time I go to the theater now, pretty much, is either the big blockbusters that look great on a big screen. Yeah, like, you know the the Star Wars, the right. the, the the superhero movies, whatever. I take my kids to that. Yeah, I'll go see those in the theater. But if it's not that, I'm pretty much waiting for it to to get to home. Yeah. And I like it said. I like it. I like hour long shows. I know. You yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. You watch in the end, and you. I don't really ever. I don't consider it. Uh, you know what's the word for it? Uh, when you watch a lot of TV, I guess you. Uh, uh, awesome. Uh, no, I mean it's I, I, whatever the binge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't binge. I binge. I watch maybe two at a time. But I like uh, watching one, and then if I have time, I'll watch another sure. one. But it's not as – for some reason, that commitment of a movie, right. it's just too long for me to right. commit. I, I understand that. I mean, I've done that at times. I I have to – I have uh, – uh, what the hell is the name? Tony Erdman, which was up for Best Foreign Film last year, which is supposed to be really, really good and really, really funny. Yeah. Uh, and it it's I rented it on Amazon Prime or whatever, and I haven't watched it yet because it's two hours and 45 minutes long. Yeah. And it's just uh, – and I really want to see it too because I've heard it's fantastic and I just – but I will sit there and watch four episodes of a TV show, like you said, which yeah. is longer than it would have been to watch the movie. So best Jonathan Demme uh, movie? I mean, it's tough to not say Silence of the Lambs for me. Stop Making Sense is also great if you count that. Melvin and Howard is fantastic. I'm just yep, looking at that this is list great. now. You know what? Rachel Getting Married is a good movie. I haven't seen that. It's like an indie. It's really yeah. indie. I, I, that was another one where I was like, oh, Jonathan Demme directed that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Manchurian Candidate was awful. I hate to say it. Uh, was the, it awful, or was it just the like remake. you? It was, yeah, but it you was, watched it and then you were like, "It was eh, just pointless." It wasn't it as was good. Pointless. Yeah, yeah. Why yeah, would you? I, I shouldn't say awful. It was yeah. like it was an okay movie, to, you know, to kill two hours. And Meryl Streep was good in it. She was so awful. She was the, good in so it, but evil. she's no Angela Lansbury. No, you're right. You're right. Uh, speaking of which, well, not exactly speaking of which. I was curious about this, and I saw that it was in fact true, and it maintains my theory that every director that you know has directed an episode of Columbo because, sure enough, Jonathan Demme (laughs) directed an episode (laughs) called Murder Under Glass back in 1978. (laughs) I'm telling you, Columbo, you look – I mean, Steven Spielberg – right? He directed the pilot. Yes. Of Columbo. He, I knew I didn't know it was a pilot. Yeah. I knew he directed a Columbo. It's just you go back and watch that show and it's amazing how many directors did Columbo episodes. I am wondering whether uh I could watch Columbo with my kids. Mm. I mean it's about murder. Right. It's not a kid show by any means, no. but I think I watched it as a kid. I definitely did. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how young I was, but well, I, I, was I can, how old you, how old are your daughters again? They're 12. 
uh-huh. and gonna be it's gonna be twelve and eight. Eight might be young. I don't know, but everything's so different now. Yeah. That I, I don't know what's young for things anymore. Yeah, because I mean, TV was so appropriate back then. You generally think you can watch any right old TV. Yeah, uh, you know, which is why we watch uh, we watch Little House on, sure. on Sunday nights. Sure. You know? Well, that yeah, definitely. Um, but even that's the thing is even the you know uh, I think the, the anything that was in primetime TV you could watch back then with the sure with the whole family. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I would love uh-huh. to. I feel like they would like. Mm-hmm. Um, Colombo, but I don't know if they have if people have the kind of um, y- you know what's the uh, pa- not patience yeah who have the who can watch the attention span mm-hmm. who can watch long things like uh, uh, Colombo's two hours long every episode yeah it was two hours but with the commercials so each one was a right. movie Colombo was a movie every, oh I don't remember that yeah every week was a different it was the movie of the week Columbo oh, was one of them okay McMillan and sure one of them. yeah but those, McLeod right absolutely they were all endless McLeod was like you know it M- didn't deserve to be two hours McLeod long. I could never get into <laughs> yeah yeah when I was back in my uh, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast I used to watch Kojak a lot yeah on this me tv yeah uh and they had a lot and they would also show Columbo and they had all all the movie of the week ones they had McLeod they had McMillan and wife yeah and every time McLeod would come they're like eh, time for bed <laughs> <laughs> but the things we would watch, my brother and I, I remember we watched The Rainmaker, mm-hmm. okay? And we heard it was going to be on, and we had read about it in TV Guide, you know, what it was about. We thought, oh, this is interesting, uh-huh. you know? And we liked Burt Lancaster. Uh-huh. So we were all excited. We stayed, and we watched uh, The Rainmaker, okay? And, I mean, we were young. Like, this is like a nine-year-old kid. Right. Like, you know, like my, my kids are now. And we stayed up, watched The Rainmaker, and when it ended, we – like his closing line about the – do you remember? Did you see I The don't. Rainmaker? I don't. I actually oh. thought you were talking about the Francis Ford Coppola movie with Matt Damon. Oh, no. Just on the John Grisham <laughs> novel. No. <laughs> but it, the thing is, it is a old uh, – is a play. Mm-hmm. It was like a, a Broadway award-winning play. Sure. But it's about a spinster. Uh-huh. It's about Catherine Hepburn, a spinster, and this huckster comes into town, kind of like in the old genre of uh, you know, Harold Hill. The right. huckster comes into town, and he's going to uh, make it rain. Uh-huh. You know, it is like Harold Hill. He's going to make it rain, and then uh, they she she falls in love with him. She finds out he's a huckster, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know, and then of course it, it does. Uh, you know, spoiler alert: it does rain. Sure, at the end of the thing. sure. And he takes credit for it. But um, my, we loved it. But when you look back on it now, it is not a kids' movie at all. It's about a woman. Uh, you know, this unmarried woman mm-hmm. whose life has passed her by, and you know, it's just not something for little boys at all that any little boy would get into. But we loved it. Yeah, we were laughing. We we were entertained through the whole film uh-huh. because we had, you know, we could watch because there wasn't any kids TV right, back no, then. Yeah, there was yeah. no Disney Channel. Right. So it was remarkable the things that we would watch. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Th- that uh, for some reason reminded me. There, uh, have you? Do you know what Five Came Back is? No. Uh, it was an amazing book by Mark Harris. It's now a three-episode uh, series on Netflix. It's about uh, five directors, uh, John Ford, William Wyler, uh, uh, Frank Capra, uh, George Stevens, and I cannot believe I'm forgetting the fifth one. I love it already. It, but it's about their uh, – it's about World War II. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff they did during World War II and the ways they served and the movies, the propaganda, basically propaganda movies they made for us. Yes. Um, it is absolutely phenomenal. 
and, and how the war changed all five of them and how it changed their careers uh, and, and why their movies post-World War II are so much different than they were pre-World War II. It is absolutely fascinating. I love and it. I'm going to get the book. I, the, book is, the book is amazing. And the series – I wish the series had been like 10 episodes because obviously the book goes into a lot more detail. But the movie does have – or the series does have uh, Steven Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola, Lawrence Kasdan uh, – um, uh, oh, talking about uh, talk, comedy. Each yeah. one of them is talking about one of the five directors. You know, and it's uh, so good. Uh, George Stevens, I love. Mm. Like, love, uh, and I, I'm pretty sure George Stevens directed uh, uh, Talk of the Town, right? Am I right about that? My favorite screwball uh, comedy? I think so. He was the, the king of the screwball comedy. Yes, it is George Stevens. Yes. The great, uh, I didn't want to get it wrong because I feel like an idiot. It's one, thing, one of the things they talk about is after World War II, he never made screwball comedies again. Oh, really? Why? Because of all the things he'd seen. Uh, His story was actually, to me, he was sort of the least known of the five directors. I mean, right now, he's probably, like, everyone knows who Frank Capra is. Everyone knows who John Ford is. Most people today probably don't remember George Stevens, you know, if they're not really into a movie or whatever. Yeah. But his story was, I thought, the most fascinating in Five Came Back uh, because of what uh, the the transformation that, that he went through. Yeah. Well, okay, Talk of the Town, my absolute favorite screwball comedy. Um, what else has he got here? The More the Merrier, um, My Favorite Wife. I mean, all the great Irene Dunn movies, mm-hmm. The Awful Truth. I mean, so good. Yeah. And if people don't know George Stevens, you've got to go out and rent all these movies. Ernst Lubitsch, you probably know. Like, there's all those classics, Ninochka, and right. everyone's always like, oh, you got you got to watch Ernst Lubitsch. Yeah, yeah, you do. But you've got to watch George Stevens, mm-hmm. because they're so good. And Talk of the Town is about, it's Cary Grant, Gene Arthur, and Ronald Coleman. And Cary Grant plays this kind of, like, communist type of guy. Like, he's the left, the town leftist. Uh-huh. And he gets accused of a crime. And... He has to they're, – they're going to you know, string him up. They, you know, they're going to do a little uh, small-town justice. They're going to shalom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he has to hide out in the attic of Gene Arthur's house. Uh-huh. Uh, and it just so happens that she's uh, renting it to Ronald Coleman, who is up for the Supreme Court. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's about to be confirmed. And you know, it could all – the presence of, sure. you know, of, a, of a leftist in the attic could ruin his chances. Right. It's so good. Huh. Yeah, and it holds it. up. And I just, uh, you know, I love it. Yeah. But that's uh, the thing. Is John that, Huston. That's the other director. That, oh, of course. That, that, I don't know how I forgot him. I love these old movies. And here's the yeah. thing, Andy. Here's me talking about how much I hate movies. I don't go to the movie theaters anymore. Uh, and I'm like a movie guy. Like I used to work in a movie theater. Right. No, absolutely. I know the feeling. I worked in yeah. the Somerville Theater uh-huh. in, uh, you know, for $4.04 four, mm. $4. an hour. $4.04 an hour. Wow. Um, and uh, we... You know, it was like poverty wages, but we got free popcorn and we got to watch the movie. Sure. And they would show double features. It was it was near Tough, so it was kind of like an art house cinema. Right. Had a balcony. They would always show double features. So they'd be like, you know, and they would, it would be usually like a Euro kind of movie and then like an old movie. Uh-huh. So they would show like, um, you know, uh, uh, Repo Man and My Favorite Wife. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, they would pair the movies together. Right. Uh, but it was so fun. We would do the you know work at the theater, rip the tickets, and then we could kind of just go up in the balcony and and, and watch movies. Ah, uh-huh. it's amazing. Interesting. But yeah, I learned so much from that thing. You know, you know, you always see the old uh, the maps of the world, and then you see the arrows going wherever, <laughs> like how the, <laughs> the Nazis were taking over Europe. But then the, that that stuff was invented. I think it was. I think it was Capra. I can't remember. It was one of them. He, they invented that. They used Disney animators. 
and stuff like that to to create stuff like that that had never been done before. Yeah. And it was just there's so many little facts in this thing. It's just absolutely fascinating how how these guys did this stuff. Yeah, and then after I was thinking of Casablanca, but that was post war, right? They made that movie after the war. No, it was or during it was during the war. Oh, because it opens up with that, you know, with the uh, and it, they wait and wait and they have the map, uh, right. The arrows going to Morocco. Right. I can't believe I'm now blanking on what year. Casablanca. I think it might have come out before America was in the war. Well, we can look it up as we're here. But uh, wow, this is really embarrassing considering it's one of my all-time favorite. Well, yeah, movies. the thing was, you think it's it's all took place, but they were making it during the, it was 1942. Yeah, so it was all right. So it was right after America got into the war. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, the uh, what was that? Did uh, Willie give us some info? I don't know. He's only talking to you. Okay. Oh, that's right. He's talking in my yeah. in my ears. Um, that's the, our, that's our producer. We're talking about. Yeah. Um, what was the point I wanted to make, Andy, about the movies? Uh, I don't know. You brought up Casablanca, and um, I don't know after that. That we um, – oh, that – why we fight. Uh-huh. Why we fight, the Frank Capra that stuff. That was the Capra stuff, yeah. They, we had, they had those on 16-millimeter reels at Emerson College, uh-huh. and that was my go-to, like, pickup right. uh, thing for women. Like, when I'd, I would meet a girl <laughs> in Emerson, I'd be like, hey, uh, did you know that uh, Frank Capra made a series of uh, pro, uh, you know, war films uh, during, the, uh, during the war? No, I didn't know that. Let's go check them out. So I would take him into the film lab, mm-hmm. and we would watch them together in the private screening room. Uh-huh. It was a great first date. Wow. Yeah. Never really worked, but. <laughs> okay. But I watched a lot. I watched Why We Fight with a lot of girls. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, they, they talk about a, a lot. Uh, a lot of the, the five five came back uh, thing is about why we fight. That's the whole Capra stuff, yeah. And about the trouble he had making all of them, uh, and and how he finally he actually watched uh, when Triumph of the Will came out. The Lenny Riefenstahl, you know, who made this doc- documentary for Hitler, and they basically used. He, he looked at that and he said, "Oh my God, you know, this is." Like the way she's done this is frightening because it's so good. Yes. And what he did was he he used stuff. He took stuff from that movie and put that in his stuff, but to sort of use it against him. And it's just it's absolutely fascinating. Like I, seriously, you have to watch this three hour you know three episode thing. Five came back. It's so good. I'm ready to do it. Well, first of all, I'm going to get the book. Yeah, I absolutely read. I, I just don't recommend books anymore because nobody reads. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to be selling a book in, in June. Ah, nobody reads. Mean Dads for a Better America. I think they're going to pick it up, Andy. Do you? Yeah. I mean, I think the book is, I mean, it's, I think it's good. Uh-huh. I did the audio book last week, and I'm reading my own book. Yeah. And I'm like, I think this is pretty good. Like, I'm reading through it, and I was like, I'm sold now. This thing's going to work. Uh-huh. It's like a nice little story. You yeah. Know? Let me ask you this. So you read the, you read the entire book last week. How is your voice? Like, uh, like were you because here's the reason I'm asking we did our first night of the radio show last night yeah by the end of the three hours I could feel it like my throat was a little raw yeah well you, listen red eye was hard on my voice yeah yeah doing red eye I, I had to be careful in fact do you remember I lost my voice because I sang the power of Starnes yes, <laughs> yes. you know we're we don't do that much talking at right. the office right but the having to go into the recording booth and, and sing the power of Starnes and, you know, maybe I was having a little allergies at the time, too. Uh-huh. Then I had to do the five. Right. And then I had to do red eye. Right. Because I remember you almost weren't going to host that night. Like yes. you were, it was iffy. It was iffy. And so I did host. Yeah. And then uh, I then I lost my voice and I had to go, like, to a doctor and mm. they gave me, like, steroids or something. Yeah. You know, you take uh, steroids, it shrinks the swelling or oh, whatever. No, happens. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely noticed it by the end of last night. And I was like, oh, this is probably the most I've talked in 20 years. Yeah. Well, you know what? 
I think it's also a technique. I think, you know, that's why radio guys yeah, they, probably they, yeah. they get in close to the mic and yeah. they, they don't uh, um, they don't strain. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe you were d- engaging in some uh, some bad vocal habits. It's entirely possible. I'll have to try that tonight. I'll have to try more of the smooth sound <laughs> right up to the mic. Well, listen, Red Eye was bad vocal technique for me. I could tell when I if I would watch the show. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that you don't want to be, you know, it's you're you're doing a panel show and you're hanging out and you don't want to sound too perfect. It's like stand up, stand up. I didn't use proper vocal technique uh-huh. doing my stand up. So if I had a uh, a barbershop gig, um, you know, I would be wanting to treat my voice well, and so I would be doing stand up that week, doing all my shows, and I would be realizing that it's. You don't use proper technique. When you're doing stand-up, it, just, it wouldn't sound right to be like, hey, uh, did you ever right. think of this? Right. You know what I mean? And there's, there's, there's a way to, to speak into a microphone that minimizes the work that your vocal cords are doing uh-huh. and maximizes the output. Huh. But it's bad for stand-up because it makes you sound like a jerk. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so I would be like – I would have to just you know, watch, my, watch my voice a little bit. Interesting. And uh, you, know, you don't want to speak correctly – because it would take away from it's almost like using proper uh, uh, grammar, right? People sometimes would come up to me after the show and they'd be like, "Oh, you know, by the way you say that, uh, you know, that's wrong the way you say it." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know it's wrong, but I don't want to say like y- you don't want to speak right like you, Christopher Hitchens no, you because be then you're not funny." Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, there was a one. In fact, there was a blatant. Now this would probably bother you, Andy, because mm. I used to do this bit about the uh, the. Um, the preamble to the Constitution, you know, it was about, like, sexy, like, making the Constitution sexy. Uh-huh. And it was, like, a stand-up bit about how, oh, you're going to make the Constitution sexy. And then I would read the uh, the Founding Fathers. It was like, you know, um, you know, I forget what the, what the you know, it was it was reading the, the Constitution in a sexy way. Uh-huh. Right? It was actually the preamble to the, it was the um, Declaration of Independence, okay? Okay. But saying the word Declaration of Independence... Is it's too cumbersome. It's not good for the setup of the joke. Uh-huh. So I would just say the Constitution. Okay. And I would do the bit, and people would come up after and be like, you know, that's the Declaration of Independence. Uh-huh. It's not the Constitution. I'm like, I know, but it ruins the bit to say Declaration. Because <laughs> you have to say Constitution like four times in the setup. Uh-huh. I'm like, imagine the Constitution. You read the Constitution. Imagine right. trying to make the Constitution next. If I had to say Declaration of Independence like four times in the setup, right. it, it, would be, it would ruin the joke. Uh-huh. So I was like, I'm willfully... Getting history wrong, yeah. In the name, because I'm so committed to comedy, Andy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so committed. You're right. That does bother me. <laughs> Couldn't you have just because you could have said Declaration of Independence once and then just said the Declaration the other time? I, oh, but that's weird. Then it's like, what are you doing? The, the DI. You're gonna have to trust me, Andy. It the wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked. All right. Um, I should have brought the bit with me. Yeah. I, I should have brought. It's a it's a classic Shalou. Uh, uh-huh. It's a classic Shalou. See, I, I would have killed the bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I would have done. <laughs> well, it's word sounds. A lot of you know, a lot of comedy has to do with the. Uh, no, that's I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I I see that just from you know, um, you know, even just writing stuff at halftime. There were there's stuff that I would write which is not something I would ever. Uh, spoken language is different from written language. Yes, and people need to understand that. And I think. Spoken language it can be a lot looser, in my opinion. And sometimes correct yeah. grammar just isn't funny. No. Oh, absolutely. Or even in the writing. Listen, in my yeah. book, I don't think I yeah. – uh, I, I, there was probably some problems with my book, but I wanted to make it sound like I was a regular person talking. Right. 
And, uh, right. you know, we kind of – some people think, Andy, we live in an uh, anti-intellectual uh, do they? society. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that? Uh, I, I do mostly think that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm an, ant- I'm an anti-intellectual I myself. Are. I know you are. Um, That's why you'll go far in this society. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even get to uh, my, uh, my thing about the uh, – Robert Persig died, Andy. Oh, he wrote the the book that you like a lot. Yeah. yeah. And I – it was Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Right. He passed away. I mentioned him twice in my book uh-huh. because when I was in – when I was an adolescent, I was always quoting his book. You know, it was kind of like the why we fight. I would I would get in conversations with girls uh-huh. and I'd be like, do you know what Robert Persson says <laughs> about quality? <laughs> but it was such a great book and you didn't read it, right? I didn't. Everyone I know read it and I for some reason just never did. A lot of people – you know, it, it, it was mind-blowing to me. I read it several times. Uh-huh. I had a dog-eared copy, yeah. and I'd go back and read it again and again. And then when I tried to pick it up as an adult, I was, you know, it is full of, I mean, I want to read you from the book. This is the, uh, this is a classic excerpt because, you know, when he just died, they quoted from him on, you know, he's talking about quality. Quality, you know what it is, yet you don't know what it is. But that's self-contradictory. But some things are better than others. That is, they have more quality. But when you try to say what the quality is, this is all like it goes on and on. Right. It's the kind of thing an adolescent loves. Well, that's the thing. Everyone, I remember everyone in college reading this book. Yes. And a, yeah, not just adolescents. I yeah. mean, it's not, a, it's not a kid's book. No. It's a philosophy book. And I guess, you know, I would hear people, you know, they would see me with the book and they'd say, oh, yeah, that dime store philosophy. And they kind of looked down on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I'm an anti-intellectual. Sure. So, I, you know, to me, it was just what I needed as an adolescent. It uh-huh. was like deep thoughts, you know? Right. And we used to get together at the Apollo restaurant, my friends and I, you know, after church, we'd go to the Apollo for breakfast, uh-huh. and we called it the Apollostic Church, because that's where we would get, like, philosophical, uh-huh. you know? And we would, um, you know, did you read Richard Bach? Richard Bach? Uh, you know, Jonathan Livingston Jonathan Siegel? Siegel? No. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> what were your books as an adolescent? Uh, you must have had the books that rocked your world. I did, but they're as an adolescent, they were probably... Science fiction and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's what I was always really into. Yeah. Just yeah. the – well, Lord of the Rings, that was a big one for me I too. hated him. You did? Never made it through The Hobbit. Wow. I'm not a fantasy guy. Yeah. I guess, yeah, it's the difference of fantasy and yeah. sci-fi, right? Yeah. Just never been a big River, fantasy guy. Riverworld, Andy? Riverworld? The, uh... Uh, did not – did I read the Riverworld series? No, I don't Asimov, think I, any I don't Asimov. Think I a lot – every, yeah. every Asimov book, every Heinlein book, every Arthur C. Clarke book uh, – yeah, that that's what I remember of my adolescence. Well, Andy, uh, you know we might we're doing Red Eye Radio tonight. We're doing, uh, or I should say, Fox News Talk. Yep. Maybe we'll talk more about this kind of stuff uh, tonight. But yep. that's the Red Eye Podcast, and uh, you know we'll see you guys next week, right? I don't see why not. Yeah, rock and roll, guys. Bye, guys.